Good morning, everybody. If you would turn in your Bibles and join me, we are going to be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and I'm reading from the NIV version. This is what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because, oops, sorry, uh, <laughs> saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed as a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Uh, because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you today for this um, chance we have to gather together and to hear from your word. Thank you that your word um, has power in our lives and that um, you have given us this witness to, um, of who you are and who you have made us to be. I ask that you would be with us in this time, that you would um, use my words, and that they would be yours and not my own. I pray it in your powerful name, amen. Well, good morning. I'm so joyful to be with you this morning and excited to be um, back home at my church here and to have the opportunity to share with you so many of you who have made Beams Point United Methodist Church what it has been for me growing up here in this church um, and becoming who I am today. So I thank you for that. Um, when mom and dad asked me if I would like to preach on one of the Sundays that I was home for break, I was like, 
Whew, all right, this might be a little bit intimidating, but I know I knew I would want to say yes, and I did say yes, uh, because um, I'm studying theology right now, and I'm hoping to be a pastor myself someday, and so this is a great opportunity for me, and um, here I am, so I want to thank you for being here as well, and this chance we have to hear from God's word. So today I'm asking the question, what is powering you? And I want to start by bringing up the topic of fear, because I think it's kind of a big motivator for um, some of the actions and thoughts and things that we do in our lives, maybe in a way that we don't always realize. Uh, but I just want to start with this story of a question that I was thinking about a lot. Um, so my freshman year of college, I just left Little Bemis Point to go to uh, another place in western New York, uh, Houghton College. And it, you know, it's still, still this rural area, right? But for me, it was a big step with leaving home and um, with getting to meet this whole new group of people and friends. And one of the things that I really saw in a new way after going to college and getting to know so many more people well um, and making these new friends is just the realization that our lives are very, very complicated in a way that maybe I hadn't realized before. I saw friends who were dealing with a whole range of struggles, even as I was dealing with some of my own as well. And um, I kind of started asking this question. Like, I'm seeing all these people, we love Jesus, we're here at college together, but we're still going through struggles, we still have pain. And why is it that being a Christian and having this life with Jesus isn't making my life easier? Why isn't it just taking away all these difficulties and struggles? And, um, you know, I think there are many things that we fear in life that, um, you know, it seems like Christians deal with difficult things just as much as other people do. And, you know, we still get sick. We still lose loved ones or we lose our job or... We have broken relationships over a whole number of different issues, or we still face injustices. And I was noticing, even as Christians, we might face additional sufferings for being a Christian. This might all be okay if we could just pray it away, yeah, ask God and know he would take it away, but I knew that God doesn't always answer our prayers with a yes. We can't always understand God's will. And so I was left with this question that I was wrestling with is if I'm just as susceptible as someone who doesn't know Jesus to being hurt and my life as a Christian isn't guaranteed to be easier, then what's, what's the point of this? How does this all pan out? Shouldn't I get to be happy? So I don't know if any of you have ever wrestled with this question, but this was something that I was really thinking about a lot. And in some ways, it's still a question for me. But also, I think God's word really speaks to this question. And so I want to read, again, verses 8 and 9. Um, and this is from the NRSV translation. But this is what Paul says about this. He says, Join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. So Paul acknowledges that following God and witnessing about his goodness in the midst of suffering 
This, this means that we're going to encounter suffering in our lives. He even goes so far as to encourage Timothy to join in the suffering. One thing that I've learned in one of my classes recently that I thought was interesting is that um, the Greek words for witness and martyr actually come from the same root. This idea of um, witnessing about Christ and giving up something of ourselves these things are inherently connected. And so at the same time that as being a Christian, we might suffer in a unique way sometimes, um, looking at this verse, I kind of was thinking, well, I can see then that maybe my idea that not being a Christian would actually be easier is flawed because in reality, all people are going to suffer. And this is the state of our world. We're broken because of our sin, and this is where we are. But the good news is that Paul says, we suffer relying on the power of God and not on our own works. We can't get ourselves out of the places we may find ourselves, but the power of God offers an alternative. So what is the power of God? What is it that God has given us? In the verses right above this, Paul has just addressed this. He says in verses six and seven, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And then he says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. Other versions say it's not a spirit of fear or cowardice. But Paul says, a spirit of God gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So the power of God is in the Holy Spirit, who God has given freely to all who believe in him. The Holy Spirit transforms our lives from living in fear to having power, love, and self-discipline. This is what gets me about this. Unlike the power of fear, which only cares about myself and my own desires and my own wish for things to be easier or for my life to be um, just filled um, only with happy things, unlike the power of fear that motivates those quests, the power of God in the Holy Spirit isn't concerned with making life easier, but with how to handle the difficulties in life that we will inevitably face in a Christ-like way. Paul says that we don't have to let timidity about what could happen in the future keep us from living wholeheartedly. So I want to ask the question now, what does it look like to actually live a life of power, love, and self-discipline, as he says here in verse seven? In some ways, I think the first two points, power and love, are perhaps the clearest. Right, The Holy Spirit gives us the power of encouragement and strength to make it through life. When we can't keep going, the Lord picks us up and he fills us with his strength. This is so beautiful. Additionally, the Holy Spirit gives us love to treat others how we do not feel it's possible for us to treat them on just our own motivation. I know I've definitely felt this one in my life, right? There are people who are not easy to love, but by the spirit of God in my life, I know that I can show them the radical love of Christ that exceeds anything I could give them of myself. So both of these two points are so important, and they're amazing works of the spirit 
in our lives. This third point, though, the Holy Spirit gives us self-discipline, I think requires a little bit more thought. Like, cool, thanks, self-discipline. Okay, thanks, Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What does that look like? So in my uh, systematic theology class, we've been learning about John Wesley and his teachings. And one of his most important um, teachings or doctrines that he promoted is called the doctrine of sanctification. And Wesley defines sanctification as truly loving God with all one's heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving neighbor as self to the point where one no longer even has the desire to sin. This means living with reliance on the Holy Spirit so much that our lives really are different. The point is, as Christians, it is possible for our lives to be transformed. And over time, as the Spirit works in our lives and we draw closer to God, our fear and selfishness and despair are taken away and replaced with power, love, and self-discipline. I don't know about you, but for me, I would love that kind of transformational power in my life. But what does sanctification have to do with self-discipline? Well, we may not be able to control our life circumstances, right? We're all going to go through various trials. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can control how we live our own lives and turn from sin, and we can control how we react to life's circumstances. Like I said, not in our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we have to ask, do we really believe that Jesus has won victory over death and that he has taken away our sins? Then let's live like that. Let's live like that. Paul says that we know who we believe in and we're persuaded that he is able to keep that which we have committed to him. We can trust Jesus. We can trust him. And this is the call of sanctification, to know that truth and to live into it more and more fully, even to completeness in this life. We live a holy life, as Paul says, and our lives are noticeably different from the lives of the other people in this world. Other people in this world won't understand why we keep going when it looks like we should give up or why we love someone who has disrespected us or why we choose to refrain from something that Christ has called us to leave behind. It's because we aren't doing it on our own power. I do want to add, it's okay. It's okay to ask God with boldness to take away our suffering. We know that God has that authority. But when God doesn't answer yes to those prayers, we don't need to live in despair. That's not the end word. So we've talked a little bit about power, love, and self-discipline. But if we want to be powered by the Spirit and not do this actually on our own strength, then what does this mean that we should actually do? I think the first thing and the most important thing is to be open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. We should surrender ourselves to God daily to be used by him. This is risky. This might lead us to suffering. But we trust that the Spirit will provide joy in the midst of the suffering. And we recognize that easier is not always better. 
Well, how do we be open to the movement of the Holy Spirit? Yes, surrendering ourselves. Another wonderful way is through practicing spiritual disciplines. Um, These are different activities that we can do in our lives that kind of cultivate our relationship with God. So for example, we've seen seen a few of them already represented in this service. Um, One might be to be in fellowship with other believers, growing together with them, confessing our sins to each other, building each other up in love. Um, this is what this, these discipleship groups are doing. This is what our fight club and boot camp are doing. Our Sunday school groups, our small groups, uh, being in fellowship with others who are encouraging us to pursue the Lord. Other ones, of course, pray and read your Bible. We talk about these often. Um, but also taking communion and um, learning again to see how Jesus has loved us and given himself for us. Also practicing and putting into action the gifts that God has given us. God has equipped each of us with spiritual gifts. And once we know what those are, we can um, use them in building up each other. We can also try different things like fasting or being in solitude in order to hear from the Lord. None of these actions save us. It's not about works righteousness or our salvation coming out of this. But these things that we do in order to faithfully pursue God prepare our hearts and allow us to be open to what the Spirit might do in our lives. They require some self-discipline and some strength and some love. And the Spirit will be faithful to produce those things in you, even as the practices themselves allow you to receive the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 through 18 says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do you hear it? The Holy Spirit will transform your life. You don't have to keep living the way you're living now. This power is unlike anything that we can do on our own and to make our life easier or better. So let's be open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. As Paul says, fanning into flame the gift of God and see how our lives are transformed. This has been so meaningful to me in my life when I can't go on my own power. And I know it is for many of yours and can continue to be and to grow for all of us. So would you join me in prayer? And as we pray, I would encourage you to just open your hands to be be open to seeing what the Spirit will give you. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you fall afresh on us in this place today? God, it is so tempting for us to live in fear, trying to do things on our own power. And it's difficult for us to surrender ourselves to you. But God, what you have promised us is so real. I just ask in this moment that you would come and fill our lives with your power once again. We know, God, we've tried. We know we can't do it on our own. 
Would you give us your spirit today? We pray it in your powerful name. Amen. Would you stand to receive the benediction? In Luke chapter one, the priest Zechariah says that we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. As we seek to be made into the image of Christ, let's live in the power of the Spirit. Go forth today empowered to be transformed. Amen.